And so, the Scottish Tories returned to Perth 50 years after Ted Heath declared support for a Scottish Assembly, and five days after Boris Johnson rubbished the Scottish Parliament. Restrictions now to create a safety bobble at Christmas. Devolution is a disaster. Boris Johnson says it's a big mistake. And cut off in the Commons. Mr Speaker takes control. From Caledonia Media, I'm Charles Fletcher with Scotland's favourite political show, The Week in Hollywood. Um, I can never thank everyone enough for all the sacrifices that are being made and I will never underestimate how difficult it is. But I do hold to the belief that love and solidarity, albeit with a lot of help from science, will get us through this and that soon we will be looking back on it, not living through it. So please try to stay strong and please stick with it and stick together. In an extraordinary week, more than two million Scots have been placed in restrictions close to the spring lockdown as the fight continues to control coronavirus. The First Minister is badgered in the chamber as she announces the most difficult of decisions. The Prime Minister is cut off mid-sentence in the Commons by the Speaker, who'd only moments earlier given him a ticking off for his language. And just when you thought the Newsweek couldn't get busier, Boris Johnson goes into self-isolation after being in contact with an MP who's Covid-positive. Mr Johnson describes devolution in Scotland as a disaster. The Scottish Tory leader says he didn't mean that. He meant the SNP's a disaster. Oh, and in case you're wondering, in the Brexit talks, still no trade deal. We begin with the breakdown of where you are in our tiers across Scotland. The First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon. They are necessary to ensure that the National Health Service can cope with the range of pressures it will face over the winter. We must ensure that hospital and intensive care services are there not just for those with COVID, but for everyone who needs them. That means we must get case numbers down from current levels before going into a period when winter pressures are very likely to increase. Second, these decisions will give us the best possible chance, albeit in a limited and careful way, of being able to ease restrictions in all parts of Scotland for Christmas. That is something all of us want to look forward to. But we also know it will increase the risks of transmission. So we must get infection rates to a lower baseline now. And third, these decisions will help us limit the impact of the virus, including in loss of life, as we steer a path through the next few months towards the brighter times that are now within sight as vaccines and better treatments become available. Difficult though today's decisions undoubtedly are, please do not forget that an end to all of this is now within our grasp. But we must get through the next few months as safely as possible, and that means tough decisions cannot be avoided, no matter how much you and I fervently wish that they could be. Let me turn now to the detail of our decisions, starting with the local authorities that are remaining within their current level. I can confirm that Orkney, Shetland, the Western Isles, Murray and the Highlands will remain in level one. For now, in common with the rest of the country, we are asking people in Murray and the Highlands not to visit other people's houses. 
However, for all areas in Level 1, it will be permissible from Thursday this week to meet outdoors with up to eight people from a maximum of three households. I can confirm that Aberdeen City, Aberdeenshire, the Borders, Dumfries and Galloway and Argyll and Butte will all remain at Level 2. We hope that these areas, perhaps Argyll and Butte in particular, will be able to move to Level 1 soon. However, in some of these areas, we have seen an increase in cases in recent days. We are particularly concerned about quite sharp increases, albeit, I should say, from a relatively low level in both Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire. That leads me to a general point and indeed to a plea uh, to everyone living in level one and two areas. Please do not assume that being in one of the lower levels means that you can ease up. On the contrary, having fewer restrictions mean that the virus has more opportunities to spread. So it is more vital to abide by all the rules and precautions. Please use the postcode checker on our website to remind yourselves of what the restrictions are in your area and please stick to them. I'm pleased to report that East Lothian and Mid Lothian have both seen a marked decline in infection rates. Prevalence in these areas is significantly below the level for Scotland as a whole. On that basis, assuming no significant deterioration before then, I can confirm that East Lothian and Mid Lothian will move down from Level 3 to Level 4 from next Tuesday, the 24th of November. Between, uh, sorry, from uh, Level 3 to Level 2 <laughs> from next uh, Tuesday, the 24th of November. Uh, between now and then, uh, the local authorities uh, will be able to undertake necessary environmental health and compliance checks and work with NHS Lothian to minimise any risk of increased transmission that the move to Level 2 uh, will bring. I can confirm that the City of Edinburgh, Clackmannanshire, Falkirk, Inverclyde, North Ayrshire, Dundee, Fife, Perth and Kinross and Angus will all remain at Level 3 for now. These areas, to varying degrees, are all making some progress, though it does remain fragile. However, if that progress continues, we are hopeful that these areas will move to level two soon. Let me now turn, presiding officer, to our decisions about level four. The council areas that will move to level four for a limited period from Friday are the city of Glasgow, Renfrewshire, East Renfrewshire, East Dumbartonshire, West Dumbartonshire, North Lanarkshire, South Lanarkshire, East Ayrshire, South Ayrshire, Stirling and West Lothian. In all of these areas, there are grounds for continued and significant concern. In the seven days up to Friday, Scotland as a whole had just over 140 new cases of COVID per 100,000 people. All of the areas moving to level four were above that level, ranging from West Lothian with a rate of 158 cases per 100,000 to Glasgow with 277. Test positivity for all of these areas, with the exception of Western Bartonshire, was also above the average. Stirling has experienced a particularly sharp increase in cases over the past week. While some of that can be attributed to specific outbreaks, there is also a level of community transmission there that must be tackled. In the other areas, infection rates have stabilised or even slightly fallen as a result of level three measures. However, and this is the key point of concern, the infection rate in all of these areas remains stubbornly and worryingly high. At these levels, we simply do not have the assurance we need that hospital and ICU services will be able to cope as we go deeper into the winter. Pressure on hospitals in these areas and on those who work in them is already severe, and with the additional pressure that the coming weeks may bring, it could easily become intolerable. 
And further, at these levels, we would not have the flexibility we need to ease restrictions over Christmas, which, in common with the other UK nations, we so desperately want to do. The clear advice of our public health experts, therefore, is that we must drive infection rates down further in these areas, and they are not confident that Level 3 restrictions will do this to the extent necessary. That is why, albeit very reluctantly, we have taken the decision to place these areas into Level 3 for a limited period. The Level 4 restrictions will be in place for three weeks and will be lifted on the 11th of December. And I want to be clear on that point because I know people are frustrated that other restrictions have remained in place longer than planned. But Level 4 is intended to be short and sharp. And in this situation, it is specifically intended to have an impact in advance of Christmas and the most challenging winter period. Lifting the Level 4 restrictions then, as we will do, also means that they will not be in place for most of, of the Hanukkah period. So again, while celebrations may be different, there will be a greater degree of freedom. We will assess neither the time, the level that will apply in each area when the Level 4 restrictions end on 11th December. And even if it does not happen immediately for all of them, we hope and expect that the action we are taking now will allow these areas to move down to Level 2 much more quickly than would otherwise be the case. I know this will be tough. This pandemic is having an impact on mental health for most, if not all of us. If you need someone to talk to, you can find out what support is available at clearyourhead.scot or by calling NHS 111. But also please remember this. Our objective in taking this action now is to protect the NHS, create the prospect of seeing some loved ones at Christmas and completing the journey to next spring with as few restrictions as possible and with the minimum impact on life and health. The First Minister says the tiers system helps us to avoid a total lockdown. But the ability to maintain that targeted approach depends on us not spreading the virus from high to low prevalence areas. And that becomes even more important with parts of the country in level four. To put it bluntly, and we will require to monitor this, if we were to see evidence that people from East or South Ayrshire uh, are visiting places in North Ayrshire, for example, or that people from Glasgow are going to Inverclyde, we would have no choice but to consider level four for these areas too. And we don't want to do that. So it is essential that we all abide by travel restrictions. To underline how important this is, I can confirm that the guidance that has been in place in recent weeks will become law from Friday. That means people living in Level 3 or Level 4 must not travel outside their own council area except for certain essential purposes. People living elsewhere in Scotland uh, mustn't travel to Level 3 or Level 4 areas except for essential purposes. And there must be no essential travel between Scotland and other parts of the UK. Uh, Presiding officer, I know this is difficult, but it is essential. Broadly comparable restrictions have been or continue to be in force in England and in Wales. And if we are to maintain a targeted approach and allow low prevalence areas to live with fewer restrictions, I can't stress enough how important it is that we all abide by these rules. Across the country, schools will remain open. I'm aware that there are some people who argue that schools should also be closed at level four. However, our very clear view is that the harm done to young people by closing schools significantly outweighs any impact that schools have on transmission. Keeping schools open is therefore a priority. However, we will keep the guidance for schools and how it is being implemented under close review. A further evidence paper on school safety will be published by the Deputy First Minister tomorrow. 
There are also specific measures in place for those on the shielding list. We currently recommend that children who are shielding should not attend school in person in Level 4 areas. Uh, more broadly, I know this is an anxious time for people uh, who were shielding. We are not advising the same strict isolation as in the previous lockdown. We know how harmful that is to wellbeing. Instead, the advice is to be especially vigilant. The Chief Medical Officer will be writing directly to all people in Level 4 areas who were on the shielding list to provide more detailed advice. These restrictions are also very difficult for business, and so we are making more financial support available. In addition to the UK furlough scheme, all businesses that require to close at any level are eligible for a four-weekly grant of £2,000 or £3,000, depending on rateable value. Grants of £1,400 or £2,100 are available to businesses that are open but subject to trading restrictions. Eligible businesses can apply for these grants now through their local authorities. I can also confirm today that in addition to this, we are establishing a £30 million discretionary fund to enable local authorities to provide additional support for businesses where they consider that necessary or justified, for example, for businesses in supply chains or to taxi drivers suffering a severe but indirect effect. We will also make an additional £15 million available for newly self-employed people who have not been able to access other forms of support. And we are making an additional £15 million available to local authorities to help with the community and social impact of a move to Level 4. And more details of these funds will be made available shortly. And as horrific as this year has been and continues to be, there is hope. We do have real reasons to be optimistic that science will get us out of this pandemic and soon. This pandemic is taking its toll on all of us and, of course, on some so much more than on others. I know that today's decisions will add to that for many and I am truly sorry for that. Whether you agree with the decisions or not, please know they are not taken lightly. But they are essential to get us to the other side of this as safely as possible. That means all of us sticking to the rules and remembering facts in everything we do. And it means holding firm to what this is all for. In the midst of a global pandemic that is nobody's fault, this action is necessary. It is necessary to protect ourselves and those we love from a potentially deadly virus. It's essential to help the NHS look after all of us who need it, to give us the hope of some respite and time with our loved ones at Christmas, and with as little suffering and loss of life as possible, to help us complete the final stage of this horrible journey to the point, hopefully next spring, when we will be vaccinating, testing and treating our way back to normality. Um, I can never thank everyone enough for all the sacrifices that are being made, and I will never underestimate how difficult it is. But I do hold to the belief that love and solidarity, albeit with a lot of help from science, will get us through this, and that soon we will be looking back on it, not living through it. So please try to stay strong and please stick with it and stick together. A dreadful milestone has been passed this week with the number of people killed by COVID-19. More than 5,000 lives have been lost across Scotland. From the chamber here at Holyrood, Lib Dem leader Willie Rennie. 5,000 deaths, that's truly a terrible toll. It's a dark day. And that heavy toll is the reason why I've supported a cautious approach. People too want to help, but they deserve an explanation. So why are the thresholds in the strategy framework published only three weeks ago being replaced already? Why are restrictions being ratcheted up in parts of the country, including a serious travel ban, where the number of cases is going down? 
And in that context, why is the government shutting down sectors of society and business without clear evidence that they are the cause of the spread? The impact on mental health, as well as business and the economy, will be considerable from this. So is the First Minister sure these sacrifices will help cut the virus? Is the First Minister sure this is going to work? Um, I am as sure as I can be in an inherently uncertain and uh, unpredictable situation that what we are announcing today uh, will drive infection rates uh, lower to uh, the levels that we need them to be in these central belt areas. The restrictions that have been in place so far it have stopped what would otherwise have been a rapid increase in cases. They have stabilised them. In some areas, they have slightly reduced them. But for all the reasons I've set out, we cannot go into winter, not if we are sensible, with a, a stubbornly high uh, level of cases across the most populated part of our country. Um, and the thresholds in the Levels Framework uh, have not been changed. We look at the thresholds or indicators, whatever you want to describe them, and then we apply judgment around that. So if you look at Greater Glasgow and Clyde and Lanarkshire, uh, both their case numbers um, and their test positivity um, are at the uh, level where you would be uh, starting to consider Level 4. But what tips them over into that, apart from the stubbornly high nature of the cases, is the pressure and the potential pressure on hospital services. Uh, the same is true about hospital services with Ayrshire um, and uh, with Stirling in relation to Forth Valley. So we uh, pay attention to those indicators, but we have to uh, apply the judgment uh, on the advice of clinical and public health experts about what is necessary to get infection levels uh, down. Um, and, you know, we always have to make... Uh, balanced decisions here. I am under no illusions about how difficult all of this is for everybody. Countries the world over are going through this right now. We are thankfully uh, managing to avoid applying a, a lockdown across our whole country, and I hope that will continue. Uh, but I do not want to see us over what I hope is the final stage of this, uh, assuming the scientific, uh, the optimistic scientific news materialises, as we all fervently uh, hope it does, in the spring of next year. I, I want us in that period to minimise the loss of life. I want to minimise the number of people, including young people, who this time next year will be suffering from long COVID and, and the health complications of COVID. And I want to minimise economic damage too, because there is a fallacy that if we just don't take restrictions to control the virus, the economic pain won't happen. In actual fact, what will happen is that the virus will run more out of control and the economic pain will be deeper and longer. So none of this is palatable for anybody. I, uh, I hate standing here uh, making announcing decisions like this. I probably can never find the words to properly encapsulate just how much I hate it. But my job is to do what I think is necessary. Uh, it's not to do what is popular. It's to do taking account of all of the advice and judgment I can is to do what I think is necessary to get us through this next phase of the virus as safely as I possibly can. As 11 local authorities are placed in Tier 4, Labour leader Richard Leonard notes the difference in the restrictions. Swimming pools and gyms closed, driving lessons stopped, visitor attractions closed, tourism shut down, hairdressers closed, non-essential retail shops closed, hospitality shut down completely. That is the stark difference between Tier 3 and Tier 4. In replying to me in Parliament last week, the First Minister said, the Cabinet's decision on which tier people live in was a judgement. 
and judgment must combine with the hard data. So can the First Minister explain to people like those in North and South Lanarkshire what the hard data is, what the evidence is to move them up a tier at a time when the transmission rate in Lanarkshire is coming down? And what assurance can she give them and millions of others moving to level four this Friday that this time three weeks really does mean just three weeks? Mr. Um, on that last point, I've made very clear. I understand that people have been frustrated that restrictions that were meant to be limited previously have not been. But level four, for the reasons uh, Richard Leonard has set out, is meant to be a short, sharp intervention. We've looked carefully at the, the Welsh experience, which uh, it's still too early to say what the impact of that has been, but um, a fire break that they lifted after two weeks. Uh, and it may be after three weeks we don't have all of the, 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 the evidence flowing through into the data, but the Level 4 restrictions will end on the 11th of December, and then we will decide what levels uh, these areas go into then. Uh, I absolutely readily um, acknowledge the difference in terms of the economy and people's lives between living in level three and living in level four. But I hope Richard Leonard will also take this point seriously, that the difference between level three and level four uh, for Lanarkshire, for Glasgow, for these other areas, it may be also fewer people dying over uh, the next period, and it may be the difference between our NHS being able to cope uh, and not cope. Um, he asked me for the evidence. The uh, data for each local authority is being uh, published uh, today as uh, he is aware. Um, if you look at cases per 100,000 um, over the past seven days, the national average is 141. In North Lanarkshire, it's 238. Um, and in South Lanarkshire, 229. Uh, test positivity, national average is 7%. Uh, in uh, North Lanarkshire, it's 10.3 and 9.5 in South Lanarkshire. Rates have declined very slightly, but the 238 in North Lanarkshire at the end of last week uh, is only down from 274 at the start of November. So it has stabilised and slightly decreased, but it must come down faster to deal with the biggest and most important bit of evidence that Ruth Davidson actually referred to in her question, that if we don't act now, there is a risk that hospital and ICU services in NHS Lanarkshire, as winter pressures kick in, would not be able to cope with COVID and other winter pressures. So that's why we're taking this action now. And I uh, believe it is, I know it's a difficult thing to do, but I believe it is the right thing to do in the interest of protecting the National Health Service and saving lives. And fundamentally, uh, that is the most important responsibility I have right now. Scottish Conservative and Unionist Group Leader at Holyrood, Ruth Davidson, says the restrictions are a hammer blow to business. We all appreciate that there are no guarantees in a situation like this. But if the evidence points to an essential calculation that accepting three weeks of level four restrictions for those authority affected in order to win a more general easing of restrictions over the Christmas and New Year period, then that is, with regret, a judgment that we will take at face value. And the need to get through the next few months with the virus as widely suppressed as possible is all the more important with the enormously encouraging news over recent days that vaccines with efficacy rates of 90% of more are now a real prospect by year's end. But whatever the promise of an eventual vaccination programme, today's news will come as an immediate hammer blow for thousands of small businesses in the affected areas who have fought since March to stay open, to keep their head above water, surviving the spring lockdown in late summer and autumn restrictions, only to be faced again now with a further period of closure. 
Sustained government support will be critical to their survival. And we have seen the concerns expressed by business organisations over the past 24 hours, concerns that we expect ministers to address head on. But today I want to specifically ask about the situation in our hospitals. In the latest projections in the documents accompanying the statement, it shows that NHS Lanarkshire, Greater Glasgow and Clyde and Ayrshire and Arran could run out of COVID hospital beds over the next few weeks and that ICU capacity in those areas, along with Fife and Forth Valley, will also soon be reached. While we must hope for the best that this will not be the case, we must also plan for the worst. So can I ask the First Minister, does each hospital in these health board areas have a contingency plan to manage the situation should it arise? Can she provide an update on the progress of mutual aid arrangements between NHS boards to ensure that there is enough capacity to deal with peak levels of demands as set out in the winter preparedness plan? And according to that plan, at least four months' supply of all key PPE commodities was to have been procured from the end of October, as was a national stockpile of 60 ICU and supportive care medicines by the end of November. So can she confirm that all of these items have indeed now been secured? Our NHS staff have worked heroically over the last eight months. We must spare no effort in making sure that they have the resources and protection that they need for this very worrying period ahead. First Minister. Um, can I thank Ruth Davison for these questions? I'll try to, as briefly as possible, address all of them. Um, firstly, just to reiterate the point that I made in my statement. These decisions are unpalatable, uh, but they are necessary. They are necessary to protect the NHS, to open up that space, I hope, at Christmas, and also to get us through uh, what I hope, increasingly hope, is the final stage of this journey with as little loss of life uh, as possible. That's why uh, we have reached these decisions. And I know there will be people who disagree with these decisions. I can hear there are people in this chamber who strongly disagree with these decisions. I respect that, but I hope that nobody will think that these decisions are being taken lightly or without very serious consideration and assessment of their necessity. Um, the impact on business, firstly, the impact first and foremost of this pandemic on, is on individuals. But I absolutely understand uh, the impact on businesses of all sizes, but small businesses in particular. Uh, I would make two points there, and these are points members will, will want to uh, follow up in the days to come. Firstly, it is concern for businesses that makes me so determined for as far as we can to stick with the levels approach so that small businesses in Highland are not being closed down because of high prevalence in Glasgow or Lanarkshire. And I think that is important. Uh, I say this genuinely not as a criticism of decisions that other governments are, are taking. Every government is trying to take the best decisions that it can, but we have so far, and I hope will continue, to avoid a national lockdown. Um, and that is the targeted approach that I think is good for businesses as well as for individuals. Uh, but also we are today making available additional financial support to help with businesses. Um, as I understand it, in England, above the uh, level of grant support, local authorities are given a discretionary 5%, uh, or I think on uh, a level above that. Uh, what we've announced today in terms of the discretionary funding for local authorities uh, is significantly more than that. Uh, it will never be enough to compensate every business for every loss. I recognise that, but we will continue to ensure maximum support for businesses is available. Um, on hospital and ICU capacity... One of the reasons we are taking the really difficult decisions we are taking today around Greater Glasgow and Clyde, uh, Lanarkshire and Stirling as far as it relates to Forth Valley is to make sure that our hospitals and our ICU 
uh, facilities do not get to the point over the winter period where they cannot cope. And I believe this action uh, will help to protect our health service, but all health boards have contingency plans in place for ICU. That involves uh, plans to double ICU capacity uh, and then, uh, if necessary, to, to treble, treble, uh, treble ICU capacity. Uh, mutual aid is already... Uh, Underway. So, for example, uh, one of the reasons Forth Valley is under pressure right now is the assistance that will be given uh, in terms of some patients to Lanarkshire Health Board. So, these mutual aid arrangements will continue to work where necessary. Uh, and finally, yes, I can confirm, uh, we'll make some of this uh, information available through SPICE, uh, that we have all of the supplies of PPE that uh, we have uh, assessed are required. We have healthy stocks of PPE. Unlike at the start of the pandemic, and I think this is true for governments across the UK, we now get a significant proportion of our PPE. Uh, I think at the start of the pandemic, it was all imported. Now a significant proportion is from Scottish companies. So we've been able to build some economic resilience as well as health resilience there. And we also, of course, have a much greater supply of intensive care ventilators uh, than we did at the start of the pandemic, should they be needed as well. For the Scottish Greens, Alison Johnson wonders if we'd be here now if the Scottish Government had followed World Health Organisation guidance back then. The continued rise in cases as we go into winter is a cause of deep concern. And though we recognise the impact that lockdowns have, the Scottish Greens support the move of those local authorities most affected into Tier 4. And given the transmission of the virus across the country, we recognise the need to put travel restrictions into law. But would we be in such a grave situation had the Scottish Government followed the World Health Organisation mantra of test, test, test? We provided the First Minister with evidence in support of regular testing six months ago, and Parliament has now voted for this to happen. I note the First Minister said that a statement next week will cover options for extending testing to other groups of key workers. I sincerely hope that setting out options does not suggest any further delay. So can the First Minister confirm that this statement will finally see the Scottish Government introduce regular testing for all key workers in health and care, in education and in our communities as a matter of the greatest urgency? First Minister. Um, I want to address some of these points uh, very directly because they're important points. Um, but in the question of would we be in this situation if, uh, whether it's testing or anything else, uh, we'll have to look across the UK, Europe and the world right now to see that Scotland is far from unique. Actually, Scotland has lower prevalence than, many, than all other UK nations and many countries across Europe right now. Uh, that doesn't mean we've done everything right, far from it. Uh, but we uh, are in the midst of a global pandemic and that cannot simply be, be cast aside. In terms of testing... We have, on PCR testing, the main diagnostic test that we've had available, we have prioritised uh, testing those who have symptoms because that is how we need to, through test and protect, uh, best break those chains of transmission. We have not had, until uh, relatively recently, the technology to do routine, regular testing on a mass scale. We do now have uh, lateral flow testing. We hope to have more of these, but we have a supply of these already. And that then, uh, from now, opens up uh, the potential to do much more. There are still some uh, hurdles and also some limitations. So, for example, on lateral flow testing, this, unless this has changed over the course of today, we're expecting potentially this to change in the next uh, day or so. Uh, these are not licensed for unsupervised use. Um, we hope that will change, which will then uh, allow tests to be provided to employers, uh, whether in the public or private sector, to use routinely uh, with, with, uh, 
their workers. Um, so as the technology advances, so too does the approach uh, that we take. Obviously, there are logistical issues. We are looking carefully at the pilot in Liverpool uh, in terms of rolling out mass testing on a geographic basis. I think there are some very important lessons there in terms of trying to support maximum take-up uh, of testing uh, like that. So we are moving uh, forward uh, with developing technology as soon as we are able to do so, and the Health Secretary will set out more details of that uh, next week. Shadow Health Spokesman Donald Cameron, Conservative Highlands and Islands, is concerned about how the First Minister plans to tackle travel restrictions. Before Nicola Sturgeon has a chance to answer, she is distracted by Lib Dem MSP Mike Rumbles, who is grumbling at her across the chamber. Can the First Minister outline how the laws implementing a ban on travel in and out of Level 3 and 4 areas will be policed and enforced? And does she acknowledge the very serious difficulties it creates for those who live on or near council boundaries? First Minister. Um, they are... Uh, obviously not... N- none of the restrictions that we put in place are easy uh, to enforce. Um, the regulations will be... Presiding officer, if Mike Rumbles wants to ask a question, I'm more than happy to answer it, but he is shouting repeatedly um, at me from a sedentary position. Um, I know he vehemently disagrees with what I'm setting out, but you know, I, I really hope he will have enough respect to understand that these are not easy decisions and they are not decisions that are being taken lightly. Coming back to the important and uh, perfectly legitimate question, the police will enforce uh, these regulations in the way that the police have enforced all of the regulations that have been in place. In other words, it will be a last resort. Uh, Police will use the same approach that they have used for household restrictions from the stay-at-home regulations earlier in the pandemic, where they will, if they have reason to believe that people are breaching uh, the rules, uh, they will uh, remind them, advise them what the rules are, encourage them to comply, and only when there is clear and flagrant breach will enforcement be um, an option that they use. It's not for me to tell the Chief Constable operationally how to do that. Uh, I know this is not easy for the police, um, but uh, making sure that people understand the reasons for these restrictions and the reasons why it's so important uh, that people do not travel from low to from high to low prevalence areas uh, in my judgment just as has happened uh, previously in Wales uh, is happening albeit in a different form in England where the law is not to leave your home without reasonable excuse I believe that uh, passing these regulations sends a very clear and strong message to people about the importance of us complying with these rules. You're listening to The Week in Hollywood. I'm Charles Fletcher, and coming up in this half hour, the gift that keeps on giving to Scottish independence. It's called Boris Johnson. And looking ahead to next year's Scottish election. The Scottish Conservative and Unionist Party is in virtual conference in Perth this weekend. They gather days after their UK leader denounced devolution north of the border as a disaster. The Scottish Tories spent many years, of course, trying to prevent devolution and ended up being wiped out at Westminster. Ironically, they only returned to national politics when the Scottish Parliament reconvened in 1999 after an adjournment in 1707. And it was in Perth in 1968 when the then leader of the Conservatives, Ted Heath, 
committed the Tories to a National Assembly for Scotland sitting in Edinburgh. Just by chance, it came seven months after Winnie Ewing won the Hamilton by-election for the SNP. As she travelled to London by train after that victory, Winnie Ewing said there was much work to be done. How long do you think all this enthusiasm for you and your party will last? Well, last until we get a Scottish government. How long do you reckon that'll be? About 1975. No later. But what do you think you will actually achieve in Westminster? I will focus attention on the fact that Scotland is a misgoverned, undergoverned country. But if you succeed in this, don't you think the Scottish Nationalist Party might disappear? Oh, never. Not until we get what we want. What are the main subjects of attack going to be for you? Well, I think Scotland's grievous social ills, which would take me about half an hour to elaborate on, but the loss of people is one of the worst things, and that's just a symptom of the disease, which is all the things that are wrong with the social setup, the housing, the education, the lack of jobs, and I've got to ask questions that will highlight these things. This week, Boris Johnson told a group of his Northern English MPs devolution north of the border has been a disaster. He says Scottish devolution is Tony Blair's biggest mistake because he never foresaw the rise of the separatists and the nationalists. This week, the current Labour leader, Sir Keir Starmer, saw this as his lead question to the Prime Minister in the Commons. Boris Johnson fielded the questions from his flat in Downing Street, where he is self-isolating because of COVID-19. The leader of the opposition, Right Honourable Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I start by sending my best wishes to the Prime Minister and all those across the country who are doing the right thing by following the rules and self-isolating? Mr Speaker, devolution in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland is one of the proudest achievements of the last Labour government. Until now, whatever our disagreements, there's been a very broad consensus about devolution. So why did the Prime Minister tell his MPs this week that Scottish devolution is, in his words... A disaster. Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I think what has unquestionably been a disaster is the way in which the Scottish Nationalist Party have taken and used devolution as a, as a means not to improve the lives of their constituents, not to address their, uh, their health concerns, not to improve uh, education in Scotland, but constantly, and I know this is actually a point of view that is shared, uh, by the right honourable gentleman who leads uh, for the opposition, uh, but constantly to campaign for the breakup of our country and to turn devolution, uh, otherwise a sound policy from which I myself personally uh, benefited by uh, when I was running London, but turn devolution into a mission uh, to break up the UK. And that, in my view, would be a disaster. If he, if he doesn't think that would be a disaster, then perhaps he could say so now. Could, 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 could I just say it's the Scottish National Party, not the Nationalist Party? Otherwise, the phones will be ringing longer than that. I'm so sorry. The national, the non nationalists, I see. Right. We can play pedantics another time. Keir Starmer. Mr. Speaker, the biggest threat, biggest threat to the future of the United Kingdom is the Prime Minister every time he opens his mouth on this. When the, Prime Minister, when the Prime Minister said he wanted to take back control, nobody thought he meant from the Scottish people. But the Prime Minister's quote is very clear. He said devolution has been a disaster north of the border. This isn't an isolated incident. Whether it's the Internal Market Bill, 
the way the Prime Minister sidelined the devolved parliaments over the Covid response, the Prime Minister is seriously undermining the fabric of the United Kingdom. So instead of talking down devolution, does he agree that we need far greater devolution of powers and resources across the United Kingdom? We don't go back. Well, Prime Minister. I mean, Mr Speaker, I think it, it is, it's uh, Tony Blair himself, uh, the, the, the former Labour leader, who has conceded that he did not foresee the rise of a separatist uh, party uh, he, in Scotland. He did not foresee the collapse of, of Scottish Labour. Uh, Mr. Speaker, and uh, I think the right honourable gentleman is quite right. There can be uh, great advantages in devolution. I was very proud uh, when I was running a, a devolved administration in London to do things in which I passionately believed, uh, like improving public transport and fighting crime, improving housing for my constituents, and we had a great deal of success. And what disappoints me is that the Scottish National Party, Mr. Speaker, and I abide by your uh, your, your ruling on their correct name, uh, the Scottish National Party, Mr Speaker, is, is not engaging in that basic work. They, instead, they are campaigning to break up the union, an objective that I hope uh, the leader of the opposition will repudiate. Uh, will he say so now that he opposes the breakup of the United Kingdom? It, it's not a ruling, it's a matter of fact. Yes. <laughs> Of course I don't want the breakup of the Union, the United Kingdom. But if anything, if anything is fueling that breakup, it's the Prime Minister. The SNP's Westminster leader Ian Blackford also took the PM to task over his description of devolution as a disaster. And in this extraordinary week, the Speaker, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, challenged the Prime Minister on his continued misnaming of the SNP as the Scottish Nationalist Party. That's an old Churchill trick to wind people up. He'd often misname or mispronounce just to irritate. He managed to irritate Argentina with his pronunciation of Buenos Aires and Hitler by calling his followers Nazis. The Speaker cut the Prime Minister off mid-sentence because he'd, he'd heard enough. We now come to the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Mr Speaker, and can I wish the Prime Minister and all those that are self-isolating well... Mr Speaker, over the past 20 years, Westminster has imposed an extreme Brexit, an illegal war in Iraq, £9,000 tuition fees, the Windrush scandal, the rape clause, the bedroom tax and a decade of Tory austerity cuts which have pushed millions into poverty. At the same time, the Scottish Parliament has delivered free prescriptions, free tuition fees, free personal care, free bus travel, the baby box the Scottish Child Payment, world-leading climate action, all of which makes Scotland a fairer and more equal place to live. Does the Prime Minister understand why the people in Scotland think it is him and his Parliament that are the real disaster? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, I I respectfully refer the right honourable gentleman to the answer I gave to the Leader of the Opposition. I, I may say that I do think that his policies of wanting to break up the Union uh, are a disaster, and I wish he would. I wish he and his party would focus on the real priorities of the people of Scotland: on education, on health, on tackling crime, and the, and and housing, and the issues that matter to all our people. That's what a devolved government should do. I was very proud to, to run a devolved administration, and that's what we focused on. We didn't endlessly go on about constitutional change and the breakup of the UK. In Blackford. My goodness, I'm not sure if the Prime Minister was listening because I just charted some of the achievements of the Scottish Government delivering on behalf of the people of Scotland. 
Mr Speaker, no apology and no regrets from this Prime Minister. His attack on devolution wasn't just a slip of a tongue. It was a slip of the Tory mask. The chasm between Westminster and the Scottish people has never been bigger. We know that these were not just flippant remarks. When Scotland faces the biggest threat to devolution with the Tory power grab bill. The fact is, Scotland has been completely ignored by Westminster. We now face an extreme Brexit, a power grab and another round of Tory cuts, all being imposed against our will by a Tory government that we didn't vote for. Isn't it the case, Mr Speaker, that the real disaster facing the people of Scotland is another 20 years of Westminster government? Isn't it clearer than ever that the only way, the only way, Mr Speaker, to protect Scotland's interests, our Parliament and our place in Europe, is for Scotland to become an independent country. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, no, I, I, I could not disagree uh, with the Honourable Gentleman more. He is totally, he is totally wrong. Uh, and uh, what the UK does as a whole is far, far bigger, better and more important than what we can do uh, as, as, as individual nations and regions. And uh, I think that actually when you look at the way the UK has pulled together during this pandemic, the way the armed services have worked uh, to get testing throughout the whole of the UK, the way that uh, the furlough scheme has been deployed across the UK, the, the billions and billions that have been found to help people uh, across the whole of the UK, businesses in Scotland, in Wales, in Northern Ireland, in England, I think that the UK has shown its value and will continue to show its value, Mr Speaker. And when he talks about wanting to take uh, Scotland back into the, into the European Union, which I think seemed to be what he was uh, saying just now, uh, what he should understand, what the people of Scotland should understand, is that is a massive surrender of power by the people of Scotland straight back to Brussels, just as this country, just as the people of, of Scotland have taken it back again. And power not just over uh, many aspects of, uh, of their lives and their regulations, but of course power to control Scottish fisheries as well. And all that uh, would be lost uh, under his programme. And uh, I may say I do not believe it will commend itself to the Scottish people. It was a programme that was decisively rejected in 2014. I believe uh, that uh, it is uh, something that it, they would almost certainly reject again, Mr Speaker. But as uh, he said uh, before, uh, or as certainly as his party said That's before... Across. Said, Sir Graham Brady! Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, tens of thousands of jobs have already been lost in aviation. Scotland's COVID vaccination programme will begin to roll out next month. Health Secretary Jean Freeman says the NHS will be ready to vaccinate people beginning in the first week of December if the rollout is approved. She told the Scottish Parliament she hopes up to a million people could be vaccinated by the end of January. The first recipients will be NHS frontline and care workers. Now to First Minister's questions and for the Scottish Conservative group here, Ruth Davidson. Last month I asked the First Minister to look at a Christmas loneliness plan so that no one was left sitting alone at the Christmas table. I am pleased at reports of Four Nations discussions to make it easier, no matter where your family lives, of some kind of meeting. But Christmas is only five weeks away. We have to treat the public like grown-ups and let them into government thinking so that they can plan for themselves. So can I ask the First Minister to give people at home more information on how those Four Nation talks are progressing and a fuller sense of what is being considered by her government for this festive time? First Minister. 
Um, I took part uh, yesterday, uh, late afternoon yesterday, in a Four Nations discussion uh, with Michael Gove from the UK Government, the First Minister of Wales uh, and the First Minister of Northern Ireland. Uh, amongst other things, we discussed uh, the Christmas period and how we could come to a sensible, and I stress sensible and safe plan that will allow people not 100% normality over Christmas, but a greater degree of normality and in particular the ability to spend some time with loved ones. Uh, from that meeting yesterday, uh, we uh, charged our officials, uh, advised by our respective chief medical officers, to put together um, a concrete proposal that we will then consider um, and hopefully um, announce the detail of uh, in the coming days. Uh, I would hope, although uh, obviously we need to, to wait to see what that proposal is, uh, I would hope we can share that with the public over the course of next week. We are all determined, uh, if possible, that we come to a Four Nations agreement given family patterns across the UK. And we're all determined, I think, to, as best as we possibly can, strike the right balance between the understandable desire, which I share, to see family over the Christmas period, which is so special to so many of us, but also to do that in a way that does not lead to increased loss of life and increased uh, harm to health over the January period. That is not going to be an easy balance to strike, um, and already I hear people expressing concerns that we are even considering that kind of relaxation, but it's important that we try to get that balance right, and we will continue uh, to do that work. Uh, more broadly, we are working with the Older People's Strategic Action Forum and plans to support older people over uh, the winter. Uh, that will include, of course, uh, over uh, the Christmas uh, period. We've already announced uh, additional funding to local and national organisations that support older people. For example, Generations Working Together, the Scottish Pensioners Forum, Outside the Box, Hourglass and Age Scotland. Um, we know that Christmas uh, will be particularly difficult for older people and indeed for anybody who is on their own. And we are considering the proposal that was put forward uh, during an earlier debate in the Parliament about a specific Christmas loneliness campaign and we'll announce uh, more detail of that uh, shortly. Lib Dem leader Willie Rennie wants more done to support Scotland's growing mental health crisis. Liberal Democrats secured a commitment from the government for 800 dedicated mental health professionals. They were for doctor surgeries, A&E, but also for the police to help them with the increasing numbers of incidents that involve mental health. Three years on, only 12 of those mental health professionals have been allocated to the police. That is truly pitiful. Why is the government not supporting our police with the enormous mental health challenges that they face? First Minister. Um, I don't have in front of me right now, I don't think, uh, the up-to-date figures on the allocation of the 800 additional professionals, but I will make sure I, I send that to Willie Rennie in terms of how that is allocated overall and uh, to particular services. We support our uh, police service in uh, a number of ways. We have protected uh, numbers of police officers. We have uh, increased funding uh, through the uh, most recent budgets uh, for the police service. And, of course, Police Scotland uh, works in a range of different ways to support the mental health of police officers, and we will continue to do that. Across police, teachers, the NHS in particular, uh, the pressures of COVID will have raised uh, significantly the mental health uh, pressures uh, that these public servants are working under, and we will continue to ensure that we are doing everything we can to respond to that. Billy Rennie? Uh, those were the up-to-date numbers. I can assure her of that, and it's just 12, and it's just not good enough. Police Scotland's Demand and Productivity Unit undertook a mental health survey. The new report, to be published at the police board meeting next week, 
has some staggering findings. 40% of those in police custody have experienced poor mental health. And the average time that it takes, the average time, to handle a mental health-related incident is seven hours and 20 minutes. A year ago, I asked the First Minister about shocking mental health within the police service. Now we find that police officers don't even get the support they need to help other people. So can I ask her again, why does the First Minister think it is acceptable for Police Scotland to receive just 12 mental health professionals? And will she do something about it? First Minister. There's a range of different ways in which the police uh, are supported uh, on mental health issues, and we will continue to take uh, steps to enhance that where that is necessary. The well-being of police officers is, of course, uh, one of the uh, principal responsibilities of the uh, chief constable. If we look at absence rates for police officers, they are uh, lower uh, in terms of the, the current absence rates, lower uh, than for the equivalent period uh, last year. Uh, police officers and staff are able to access a range of services to care for both physical and mental health. Uh, that includes through Police Scotland's Your Wellbeing Matters programme. Uh, police Scotland was one of the first police services in the UK to implement mental health and suicide intervention training for all officers. Uh, we've provided funding to extend the Lifelines Scotland Wellbeing programme to all blue light responders. That includes uh, the police, obviously, uh, and that provides tailored online resources uh, for uh, responders, volunteers and indeed their family uh, members. Uh, we uh, provide funding for other initiatives as well, uh, including to help with the introduction of wellbeing uh, champions. So there's a range of different ways in which we support the police to look after the mental health of their officers and indeed support staff. And we will continue to have dialogue with the Chief Constable to ensure that we are supporting them in whatever ways uh, we possibly can. The Scottish Government is preparing to stagger next year's election over a series of days if the pandemic persists. It's also looking at extending the encouragement of a postal vote to help reduce the number of people going to polling stations. The vote is scheduled for the 6th of May. Four stations in our network of community radio across Scotland are finalists in next month's Community Radio Awards. Congratulations to Alive in Dumfries, DCR in Dunoon, Heartland in Pitlochry and K107 Kirkcaldy. Best wishes to you all for the final.